a shrine in Kyoto, Japan, called the Temple of a Thousand Buddha. Inside the shrine, when you go in, there are at least little over a thousand statues of Buddha. Every one slightly differ from the other. The idea is that worshippers come in, and they look around and look around until they find the one that resembles them the most, and they bow and worship that one. But you see, self-worship is not unique to Buddhism or any other group for that matter. Self-worship is the largest religion in the world. Self-worship is the religion of many of our political leaders. Self-worship is the religion of many a movie star and the ruling class. Self-worship is the most practiced religion by the media elite today. And to be sure, self-worship religion takes many forms. It has a variety of expressions, and, and it can be packaged in a thousand different ways. But its content is the same, me, myself, and I. In the West, we may not have the Temple of Thousand Buddhas, but we sure have every second commercial is reminding us, don't forget to worship yourself. (laughs) When Moses appeared before Pharaoh and said to him, let my people go, Egypt was filled with idols and idol worshipers. But in the end, they really were self-worshippers. Somebody would say, well, Michael, wait a minute. You know, they, they didn't believe. They don't know. That. How can they know? Well, let me read to you from Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible nature, namely His eternal power and deity, have been clearly perceived in the things He created, so they are without excuse. But even then, Yahweh, God of power and might, the God of heaven, has revealed His power to the Egyptians over and over and over again, demonstrating His supernatural power, His power over their gods, and yet, at the end, they did not believe. I used to hear people say, you know, if miracles will happen again today, people will believe. Well, actually, history proves again and again that this is a fallacy. And here in the book of Exodus, God manifests His supernatural power time and again, time and again, time and again, as we will see in a minute, but they refuse to believe in Him. When someone deliberately and premeditatingly refused to place a whole trust in the living God, when someone refuses to believe in the God of power and might, the God who Himself left the glories of heaven, came to earth to pay the price for our selfishness and self-worship, the God who rose from the dead to defeat death and the grave once and for all, the God whose love is so manifest to us that even the very breath we're drawing right now is a gift from His hand, the very God who blessed us abundantly, then that person will refuse to believe even if he or she see miracles. All of the evidence and the miracles in the world will not convince them. I pray to God that not a single person continues to refuse placing their full trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us so and manifested His love. Someone said that atheist agnostics are not no more interested in finding God than a thief trying to find a policeman. And there's a reason for this. The Bible said no one seeks after God, but God is seeking after us. 
God is finding us. The question is, are you running away from Him? Today, we will look at nine of the ten. There are ten altogether. We're going to look at nine of those ten today, and the tenth will be next message, of God's supernatural intervention in Egypt. If you don't have a sense of humor, you're going to miss out a lot of great blessings here today. Hear me right on this one. Those who worship the creation instead of the Creator, one day the creation will mock them. Those who are completely consumed and preoccupied with the blessings and ignore the blessings, the very blessings they have, one day will mock them. Uh, Those who totally consumed with their possessions, not the one who gave them all of their possessions, one day their possessions will mock them. Those who are so engrossed in themselves, they will despise themselves one day. Turn with me, please to the book of Exodus. Here, God manifests His power supernaturally in a magnificent way. Nine judgments that God brought upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Nine. Actually, the tenth is going to be the most devastating of all, so I'm leaving it alone till next message. After you look at these nine out of ten expressions of God's supernatural power and His judgment on Egypt, you begin to comprehend what God meant in Exodus 12, 12. This is the whole point here. You missed that, you missed it. Here's what God said. Against the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Against the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. So let's look at these nine very quickly today. The first judgment was against the source of life in Egypt, the river Nile. Chapter 7, verses 20 and 21. Aaron, that is Moses' brother, in case you don't know. (laughs) Aaron left his rod and he smote the waters, and the waters turned into blood, and the fish died, and the river stank. In Egypt, there is very little rain. If the river Nile, God forbid, dries up, 99% of the Egyptian population would die in a few days. So they're totally dependent on the Nile. You see, from the Nile comes water to drink. From the Nile comes the water to irrigate the fields. The Nile was the means of transportation, north and south. Uh, From the Nile comes uh, fertile topsoil. From the Nile, there's fish for food. From the Nile, it's the key of life. Take away the Nile... There'll be no life in Egypt. Osiris, one of the chief gods of Egypt, back then was first and foremost the god of the Nile. To this gods of the Nile, offerings were made. To these gods of the Nile, human sacrifices were offered. To the gods of the Nile, the priests were bowed down and they worshipped. Oh, but now... After what Aaron did, the source of life has become a source of death. The source of blessing became a source of curse. The source of activities became paralyzed. And it lasted for seven days. You see, God doesn't want to kill them. God was just warning them. He's warning them. After this, Pharaoh begged Moses, Please pray to your God 
to return the Nile in its normal flow and beauty after God answers Moses' prayer. Chapter 7, verse 22, it says, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and would not let the people go. Secondly, here comes the frogs. Aaron, again, stretches his hand, and millions of frogs took over the country. I mean, everywhere, frogs, frogs, for millions of them. Now, this is not your lovable Kermit the frog, by the way. <laughs> and these are the slimy things that croaked a storm. Why frogs? One of the ancient Egyptians' most beloved goddess, Hecat, H-E-K-T. Hecat was always pictured with a normal head but a body of a frog. Hecat was considered to be the goddess of fertility. Now you understand why our friends in the New Age movement, they don't only hug trees, they lick frogs. God says, <laughs> do you like a the frog? I'll give you more frogs. I give you frogs and they're coming out of your ears. <laughs> I mean, think about this. The women will be kneading flour, and in the dough, it's packed with frogs. They couldn't even get rid of them. Uh, you'll be drinking water and frogs in the cup. I mean, they go to bed at night, frogs everywhere. You have to either sleep on them or with them. <laughs> now, I don't want you to miss the irony. I told you, if you don't have a sense of humor, you're going to miss something. But I don't want you to miss the irony here. As I said, frogs were the goddess of fertility. <laughs> How can they kill the goddess of fertility? That means the future is dead. Here's something even funnier. Pharaoh brings the magicians out, and he said, Guys, I want you to get rid of the frogs. We can't kill them. They're goddess. So can you get rid of them? And so the magicians try and try, and what they did, they ended up with more frogs. They couldn't take the ones that were there, but they ended up with more Frogs, frogs, frogs everywhere. And the last thing they wanted is more frogs. And beloved, only Yahweh could have removed these frogs. And he did when Moses entreated him. Exodus 8 8. Pharaoh said to Moses, Entreat your God and get rid of these frogs, and I will let you go. <laughs> but as soon as God answered Moses' prayer, Pharaoh reneged. He basically refused to let them go. Third comes the gnats, or the lice, or the word actually could mean sand flies. These miserable creatures can dig deep under your skin, causing itching and severe pain. You say, why? Why gnats? Listen carefully. Egyptians love the god of the earth, Gib, G-E-B. The fertile land that they worship produce swarms of gnats now and sand flies. These gnats defiled their bodies so much so that the priests were not able to function and do the rituals of idol worship. Once again, Pharaoh exhibits cheap and temporary repentance that no change of heart. And once again, God answers Moses' prayer and removes the gnats. Fourth comes the insect that is near and dear to the heart of the Egyptians. They worship the beetles, not the singers. <laughs> no. And here again, 
Same song, same verse. <laughs> As if God's saying, I'm going to give you so many of these beetle gods until they make you sick. And Pharaoh again begs Moses, and Moses asks God to get rid of the abundance of beetles, and God answers Moses' prayer yet again. But once again, Pharaoh hardens his heart after the prayers of Moses were answered. This brings me to the fifth judgment. I hope you're following it with me in your Bible, which is against the cattle of Egypt. Ancient Egyptians venerated animals, and especially cattle. Once the most popular cult in Egypt, the most popular cult was Apis, the bull god. Now, this is very important because I'm going to tell you why. The bull represented power, represented strength. And today, to this day, if you go to the temples in Luxor or anywhere, the ancient temples are still in existence, you see a carving of bulls on the wall. The dead bulls in ancient Egypt were given such an elaborate burial ceremonies, and they were buried near Saqqara in Memphis. Here's the tragic fact. Listen carefully. The Israelites, the descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, they were not only knee-deep in mud in Egypt making bricks, but they were knee-deep in worshiping of the bull god. That was the god of preference among the Israelites. Later on, after God performed all these miracles, after God opened the Red Sea and they crossed over, after all that God did, they go into Sinai, and there Moses goes up to the mountain to meet God and receive the Ten Commandments. And what do the Israelites do? They give their gold to Aaron, and he said, create a golden bull so we can worship him. And they said, O oh, Israel, this is the God who delivered you out of Egypt. How quickly they have forgotten. But look around you. How quickly we forget. How quickly we forget. The God of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who powerfully brought them out of the land of slavery, went back to worship a bull. So God's judgment on the cattle was a condemnation of this depraved religious system, the bull worship. Still, Pharaoh hardened his heart yet again. The sixth judgment, Exodus 9, 10. Moses and Aaron went to the furnace, and they took some of the soot or the ashes from the burning of their sacrifices to their idols. They took some of that soot or that ashes, and they tossed it to the wind, and it became boils and zits to the Egyptians. Not just on their faces, but over their bodies. Now medication to help the ancient Egyptians. And these boils, these zits that were, as I said, not only on their faces, all over their body. They couldn't sleep. They couldn't sit. They couldn't scratch. They couldn't dress. So much so that the Egyptian magicians could not show up in front of Moses and Aaron because they couldn't even get dressed. They were covered with boils. Here's another irony. Are you counting them? Don't want you to miss it. 
It was a custom in Egypt where the priests go to that furnace after they burned the offerings to the idols, and they get some of the ashes or the soot that comes out of the burning of the sacrifice, and they will grab a hand or fistful of these ashes, and they will throw them at the worshipers. And the people will be vying to get a little bit of the ashes on them because they represented a blessing. As I told you a while back in the beginning of this series that Egypt was advanced in all kinds of sciences, including medical science, but with all of their medical knowledge, there was no rescue for the people from God's judgment. Just like it will be no rescue for people who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ on the day of the coming judgment, and maybe even sooner than many of us think. The Bible said on that day they'll be running from mountain to mountain, asking the rocks to cover them and hide them from the face of Him who sits on the throne. There was no way out. The only escape, my beloved friends, from the judgment of God that is coming upon this world is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only escape. Jesus and Jesus alone can save you and will save you if you come to Him. Jesus and Jesus alone can deliver you from the judgment that is coming upon the world. Jesus and Jesus alone can save you for all of eternity. But Pharaoh once again faked repentance. He faked it and weaseled out on his promise to let the people go, which brings me to the seventh judgment. Exodus chapter 9, verse 18. This can only be described as an extraordinary phenomena. I'm going to tell you about it. I told you earlier that uh, it hardly rains in Egypt. It really does. In fact, in the middle and in the south of the country, uh, where the capital of one of the ancient Egyptians was, in Luxor, uh, you can get 365 days of sunshine. You see, most of them have never seen lightning and hail, (laughs) and the deluge coming from heaven. That's terrorized their hearts. But by this time, this judgment at this plague was the beginning of the turning of the opinion Paul against Pharaoh. So far, he's been running above 50% popularity. Now, by this time, it dipped below 50%. You live by the Paul, you die by the Paul, right? He was okay so far until the hail came. Poor old Pharaoh. The popularity not only plummeted, but to make things worse, Moses warned him ahead of time. If you hide your cattle, it will survive. And only those who did, their cattle survived. (laughs) Yet, those who placed their faith in the sky gods were devastated on that day. Horus, from which we get the horoscope, the god of the atmosphere, not N-U-T, the goddess of the sky, both had proven useless before the god of power and might, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. And then comes the eighth judgment, the invasion of the locusts. Millions of these critters descended on the fields of wheat and barley and corn, and the crops were totally devastated. They munched on those things until whatever the hail left, they finished off. Exodus 10, 7, 
you begin to see by now the political elite and the country's gentry, they began to plead with Pharaoh. Get rid of them. Let them go. Let the Hebrews go. We can't take it anymore. We've had enough. And so Pharaoh begins to bargain with Moses. I'm going to come to that in a minute because that's important. Be very careful when you begin to bargain with the devil. When you begin to compromise your conviction for a bowl of soup or whatever it is to you. Yeah, I give you this, you do this, and he can't say, nobody can see, nobody will know, nobody hears it. Be very careful when the devil tempts you and you begin to bargain with him. Be very, very careful. Meanwhile, when Moses left the palace of Pharaoh, the locusts had devoured everything in sight. Nepri, the god of the grain, Anibos, the god who is the guardian of the fields, Min, M-I-N, the god of the harvest and the crops. All these gods have joined the list of useless gods of Egypt, and they were all defeated completely and thoroughly by who? Yahweh. Can you say it with me? Yahweh. Praise God. By the way, all these gods, all these gods, whether in Babylon or Egypt or anywhere else, they were only a storefront of Satan. So they are. All the idols that tempt us every single day, it's a storefront of Satan. All the idols and idol worshiping, it's a storefront. Satan is the one behind all of that, all of these false gods. Finally comes the ninth judgment, and it came swiftly, and it came unexpectedly. This is the second most significant devastating judgment, the most significant is what I'll be telling you in the next message. This is the second in defeating all of the gods of Egypt. The Egyptians experienced three days and three nights in utter, complete, and total darkness. Darkness was so intense, they could not see their hand in front of them. The stars and the moons, whom some of them worshipped, gone. But here's the most devastating thing of all. The most beloved God that is worshipped by just about everybody in ancient Egypt is the god Ra, R-A-A, the sun god, the sun god. That is the most beloved by all. The others might be cults here and there, but this was worshipped by everyone. The beloved sun god, whom that they worshipped and adored, is gone. I wonder what would happen if the thing that consumes you day in and day out disappears. Think about that. In Egypt, to this day, particularly in the summer months, the noonday sun, about noontime, is so bright. You cannot describe it unless you've seen it. It is so glaring. You can't even look without covering your eyes. Ah, but now it's darker than midnight. These people were forced to sit still for three days and three nights. They could not move. They could not eat. They could not see each other. Yet, supernaturally, God provided light 
in the camps of the Israelites. I know you heard me say this before, and I believe it with every ounce of my being, that as it gets darker in our culture, in our society, in our world, the light of the believer is going to shine far brighter than we ever thought possible. And I take my comfort from the Word of God that even it was dark throughout the pagan world of, of Egypt, there was light among the people of God. Finally, Pharaoh said to Moses, when their beloved God, Dra, disappeared, get out of my face. If you see my face again, you'll be a dead man. Chapter 10, verse 29, Moses said, here's a Yusuf translation, Fine by me, Baba. <laughs> I will not see your face again. Think with me. Just think with me for a minute, okay? The first is the river, then the land, then the sky. Again and again and again, the creator of all things, the maker of all things, is telling them that He and He alone is the one to be worshipped and adored, not His creation, not His blessings, not His gifts. In the book of Revelation, when you put side by side these balls and the trumpets and judgments are going to fall in the last day and compare them with those ten plagues that you find in the book of Exodus, they're very similar. See, our God is a consistent God, and He desired not a sinner to perish, but to repent and believe And that is why he sends warning after warning after warning. There are two vitally important lessons that God would have us learn from His Word. Two very important lessons. First, God detests cheap repentance. God detests temporary change so you can get what you want from Him. God detests convenient and fake spirituality. In other words, God detests foxhole conversion that's supposed to take place, and then when it's all over, a person back to his old ways. After each judgment, Pharaoh had a foxhole conversion. After each judgment, he kept saying, I'm sorry, I'll let you go this time. Okay, I'll let you go this time. I'll let you go. He had not known or had forgotten that the God of heaven and earth can see straight to his heart. But the reason he was patient and prolonged this thing so that every god in Egypt be defeated by Yahweh. <laughs> that those who kind of become religious only because they need something from God and they show up, even at church, then they go back to their old ways, they get progressively worse every time. Every time, every time. Listen, I have seen it with those two eyes. It's devastating. Beloved, God cannot be mocked. He told His people through Isaiah, even those, the, the people of Israel who the apple of His eye, He said, your empty worship wearies me because you're worshiping me with your lips only and your heart is far away. Please, please, please hear me right. I'm not talking about the believer who occasionally sins, and when we sin, we go back to the Lord in repentance and faith and 
ask for His forgiveness. That's not what I'm talking about. In fact, the Bible, this is something God loves. This is something we must do. The Bible said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, and confessing meaning that you come in agreement with God because God can see everything. He forgives us. He's just to forgive us all our sins. That's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about the person who becomes religious when he wants something from God and then goes back to their old way of life. Just like it happened on September 11, there was not even room to stand in this place. And every church, even synagogues, people were afraid and they wanted to turn to God. And they thought, you know, this is it, we won't turn to God. And they filled the churches and the places of worship. Look at us now. We have gone progressively worse and worse and worse. Here's what Jesus said. When a person does one of those kind of, okay, God, if you get me out of this, I'll I'll do this for you, God, and then that's forgotten. Jesus said, basically, the devil leaves, and then when the Holy Spirit doesn't come in, the devil is watching and he sees that place is empty. Jesus is not there in the power of his Holy Spirit. So what happens? The devil goes out and brings seven others and occupy that empty space. I have no joy in saying this. At that point, that person is in the deepest of trouble. The one who says, God, if you just get me out of this and I'll do this and I'll do the other thing. The second thing I want to leave with you today. Moses was given variety of options. Smorgasbord <laughs> by Pharaoh. Pharaoh wanted to negotiate. <laughs> he wanted to make a deal with Moses, just like the devil does with every one of us, constantly making a deal. Be very careful. And Moses would not settle for anything short of a total obedience to God. In negotiation, we say, you know, you go for the full loaf, and then you settle for the half loaf, and, you know, that's fine in business and politics and all that, but not with God. God, either He is Lord of all or not Lord at all. And Moses insisted. The only deal he accepts is what God demanded. Beloved, you cannot come to God your way. You cannot even come to God half your way. You cannot come to God quarter your way. You have to come to God God's way. Amen? Will you do that now? Say, God, I'm tired of half answers. I'm tired of running my own life. And if you are seeking, believing that only the power of God can defeat whatever it is you're going through right now, I want to pray with you. You've compromised, and it didn't work. And God, I need your power, your full power. Not an inch of mine. I surrender. Father, I know you will not put us to shame. You not despise us. You said, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Holy Spirit, come with power. Strengthen your people. And let 
your strength and your power, the person of the Holy Spirit, that He might come and take over. And Lord, for those who have left their hearts are empty, let fill them with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.